talking for a couple of weeks now about how you can clearly hear the voice of God, how He has a will for your life, and He wants us to know that will even more than we want to know it. And he's put up these two huge guardrails that try to uh, that he wants to use to help us discover his will. And one guardrail is the providential will of God, the things that God's going to do no matter what, whether anybody believes them or not. Uh, the other one is God's moral will. It's the things he's written down that he wants all of us to do. And last week we talked about uh, one of the best gifts that God has given you to help you discover his will is other believers, mature believers in Christ. Those of you who are brand new Christians or those of you who have been away, and in our church this happens a lot, we have people who have been away from Christ for 15, 20, sometimes 25 years who have just come back to God. And, and those folks in that situation, new Christians, those who have been away from God for a long time, you really need to pay special attention to older, more mature believers when you're trying to make decisions in your life. Because haven't you found this to be true? Whenever you really have, I mean really have your heart set on something, isn't it amazing how you think you're hearing God say, it's okay, do that. Because you really, 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 really want it, and you start making up sometimes things that you're thinking God's saying, even though every other voice around you is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You say, oh, this must be from God because it feels so right. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to figure out that, that sometimes our hearts lie to us. Sometimes our hearts deceive us. When I left... Um, Borger, Texas, B-O-R-G-E-R. A lot of times people think I'm saying border. It's Borger. Not that that matters because you won't ever go there. If you do, I feel sorry for you because there's nothing there. It's on the way to nowhere. You'll see a sign if you go skiing. You'll come close, but don't go there because you're not missing anything. When I left Borger, I was 18 years old, and I told this girl that I was going to come back after college and I was going to marry her. And she told me how much she loved me, and I kissed her, and then I left for Baylor the next day. Two months later... She found somebody new, and she wrote me this Dear John letter. And at, as a P.S., she wrote this verse at the bottom, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I thought, that's the most ridiculous verse I've ever seen in my life. I'm, and, and I'm thinking, I'm sitting in my dorm room all alone at Baylor going, God, are you messing up my life? How are you not getting my signals? Are you not paying attention here, God? Because she was the desire of my heart. And so she starts dating this guy, dates him for several years, and then ends up in mar marrying him. And an interesting thing happened during those three or four years that she was dating this guy. I met a girl named Janie, and she was cute. And, and she was pretty sweet. And, and when we started, we dated on and off for several years, but when we delighted ourselves in the Lord, each of us did this separately. When we delighted ourselves in the Lord, all of a sudden, she became the desire of my heart, and God blessed me beyond what I could possibly imagine. Isn't God smart? God knew that this one wasn't the right one, that there was another one that I hadn't even met yet. And, and so God wanted me to pay attention to his word. And, and a couple of years before Janie and I got engaged, God really started bringing his word alive in my life. I started realizing that this is more than just history. This is real life. In the Old Testament, it said this, these are not idle words. These words are your life. And that's what started happening with me as I was studying God's word. And so as, as Janie and I began to study God's word apart, as we began to give our lives to God uh, uh, separately, then God caused our paths to cross again. And... Um, I want you to understand that God's word is vital for you to understand God's will. But I know that a lot of people have misused the Bible. 
And, and every cult out there has taken a portion of Scripture, has twisted it to fit their own needs. For example, who's this guy? David Koresh, Branch Davidians outside of Waco. This guy was a very charismatic Bible teacher, but he taught in a way that, that, uh, was, that promoted his own desires. And people thought, well, he's teaching and he's a great teacher and it's coming from the Bible, so it must be from God. But it wasn't from God. This guy was twisting Scripture to meet his own needs. It was perverted. Had people known the Word very well, they would have seen right through it. Because I'd, I would hear bits and, and uh, pieces of his teaching. I'd go, that's so contrary to Scripture. How could anyone buy that trash? But a lot of people bought that trash because he was a good teacher. There's several others. Any cult you can think of. Here's a, here's a picture. This is what we think this is an artist rendering of Joseph Smith, Mormonism. He twisted scripture. I can show you that, how he twisted scripture to meet his own needs. Here's another one. Charles Taz Russell. He started the Jehovah's Witnesses. He twisted scripture to meet his own needs. Here's another one, an artist rendering, Muhammad. He twisted scripture to meet his own needs. And so the Islam faith was started. Well, okay, if, if the misuse of Scripture is so rampant, how do I know when God is speaking and how do I know what He's saying through the Bible? We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at a man who had a heart after God, King David. Here's what King David said in Psalm 119.24. He said, Your statutes, which is another word for the Word of God. If you read Psalm 119, he calls it counsel and statutes and laws and decrees. He says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my, what's that word? Counselors. David said, when I need to make a decision, I go to God's word for counsel. And you got to remember, David's Bible was about this much because it wasn't all written down yet. It hadn't happened yet. But he said, I am going to put so much weight on this little portion of God's word that's written down that I'm going to let it counsel me whenever I need to make decisions. So... Uh, so God's moral will, we've talked about this, God's moral will is what's written down and all of us are supposed to follow. But I want to talk about today how this book can impact both the major decisions in your life and even the mundane little decisions of every day if you will let it. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament again to Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8. If you've been around church any time at all, you've heard this verse. We're going to dissect it today. The Lord says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like... Your ways are not like my ways. Now, how many of you have seen those billboards on the, you know, around major metroplexes where it has a, a message and then it says God? You know, it's signed God. So one of them is, let's meet at my house Sunday before the game. And then it's signed God. And there's another one that says, uh, keep using my name in vain and I'll make rush hour longer. God. Have y'all seen those? We need to talk. You know, all these different things. Here's my idea from this scripture of a billboard that we need to slap out in front of new life. We don't think alike. God. Because this is what he's saying in this verse. The way you approach a situation is not the way I would approach it. The way you respond in situations is not the way that I would respond. What comes natural to you, what is logical to you, is not my way. So God is saying this. <clears throat> Before you ever ask for his input, you need to know up front, his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Have you ever stopped to think that what's logical to us is very probably illogical to God? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We, uh, we watch Survivor at our house. And one of our favorite things is, we missed the first couple of seasons, we've been devoted followers ever since. 
So we will DVR it and we'll watch it. And, and I always get favorites and I always have people that I don't like. And one of our favorite things, Hannah doesn't watch the whole show, but if there is a competition, if there's some type of challenge, she comes running in from wherever she is because she wants to see the challenges. Well, in those challenges, very often they'll do something incredibly stupid. You're watching and you're going, how could you do that? You idiot. And if it's someone I'm like, I like on the show, I'm going, don't do that. No, 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 no. I'm yelling at the TV. If it's someone I don't like, I go, way to go, dork. You know, I'm like, yes, I'm cheering their failure. It's so easy to see from our perspective what they should and shouldn't be doing. And that's exactly how God sees things. We mess up because we don't have God's perspective. We don't have his vantage point. And so we mess up our lives because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that this balloon represents... My life, your life. Humor me for a minute. And everything that I do in life is represented inside this little balloon. Now, I have a major decision to make. And what I do is I I make my decisions based on the knowledge, the limited knowledge that I have and the limited experiences that I have. So everything that I do when I'm making a decision, everything that you do when you make a decision, you base it on your limited knowledge and experience. And so, would you say that you don't know everything there is to know? Would you say that you've not experienced everything there is to experience? Is that a safe assumption? Yes or no? Okay, so, we go along in life, and all of a sudden, something catches our eye. This is Janie's life, if you can't read that. And it looks good. And so, we have a decision to make. Should I hook up with this other person? Because, you know, you want to. Right? We want to be involved with other people. We don't want to be alone. Is the one thing in Garden of Eden that wasn't good was that man was alone. So God created woman to correspond to his needs. And so whether I pursue Janie or not depends on which one wins out, my desires or my fears. Because in our relationship, what happened was I pursued Janie. She pursued me. I pursued her. She pursued me. Eventually, we got together. But what happens is sometimes we're afraid of the unknown. Sometimes we let somebody, some stupid balloon who's hurt us in the past, affect today's relationships because that stupid balloon hurt us. And so you must be that same balloon. You're going to hurt me. We're based on our experiences. And God says there's a better way because all I can do if I'm in my power, all I can do is is make a decision based on what I think I know. And the outcomes are really just a guess because I think if I do A, then B is going to happen. But really, I'm just guessing. I'm just making it all up. Because I'm just a dipstick balloon, you're just a dipstick balloon, and Janie's just a dipstick. She's not a dipstick. So here's the thing. There's got to be a better way to discover God's will than just making it up. And we've talked about the moral will, but we're going to go a little deeper than that even. So I'm guessing because all I have to go on is what's inside the balloon, which means I don't have very much to go on. What if our decisions were based on... All of the experiences of every human being who's ever lived. What if our perspective could be such that we could see eternity past. We could see where we are in the timeline of things. And we could see eternity future. What if we could tap into a mind who knows every outcome of every option that we would ever consider. And he also knows which decision we're going to make. And so he knows the outcome of that decision. If you had all of that, that type of perspective, that type of context, that type of type of experience, if you had all of that, it would be very difficult to make a wrong decision, right? 
So let's figure out how we can get that. Number one on your listening guide. The Bible gives us a slice of God's thinking. Through this book, God is giving us thousands of years of perspective. So you don't have to just see your life. You see how your life fits into the grand scheme of things from the beginning until the end. That way you can make the right choice. God wants you to become so familiar with his thoughts and so familiar with his ways that over time, our thoughts become like his thoughts and our ways become like his ways. And then not only do you get to discover God's will, a really cool thing happens. You get to help other people discover God's will. How old were you when you, dis- when you figured out your parents? Do you remember a time, I do, when someone said, hey, I want you to come to this party at my house. And I'm like, uh-uh. And they're like, don't you want to come? Yeah. Then, then why don't you ask? No. There is no way my parents would let me do that. Or something happens and you go, my dad is going to kill me. And this same wise friend goes, well, how do you know? And you're like, trust me, this one gets the death penalty. And you walked around for a couple of weeks limping because when your dad found out, he almost killed you, right? Any of you like that? How old were you when you figured out that you could, that one parent was a little bit easier to manipulate than the other parent? And if you got to that parent first, you were home free. That was my dad. Dad was yes to everything. And so mom would get mad if I asked dad first, but if she wasn't there, what was I to do? I couldn't help but ask dad. Come on, mom. But even then, even though you knew one parent was easier, there were certain things you would not bring to your parents' attention because you just knew. The answer was no. Or you knew that some things carried less punishment. But there was a big two or a big three or a big five. I don't know how strict your parents were. You did one of those life was over and you had to move out the house, right? Y'all ever figure anything like that out? By the time you were 18, you knew your parents because you had hung out with them. And our children are doing the same things. You realize that, right? They're sitting in their rooms the same way you were 20, 30 years ago. Well, God, our father wants us to get to know him so well that he, that we know what he wants us to do in any given situation. And he's, he's saying to you, I don't want my will to be a mystery. God doesn't want us driving down the road looking for signs. And like you're in Dallas and maybe you're going close to Love Field and it says, come to Denver. And you're driving along, you're going, D, D's what Deborah's name starts with. And then you're reading the, the 1-800 number where you can call and make reservations. And the last two digits of that number are the exact same last two digits of Deborah's phone number. God wants me to call Deborah. And God's up there going, are you kidding me? You're killing me, Smalls. God's saying, I created communication. I'm very good at communication. You don't have to wander around in the dark trying to figure out what I want. If you want my thoughts, look them up. Spend a little time in God's word. Become familiar with the way I do things so you get to know me. And as you do that, as you study God's word, a funny thing happens. Your thoughts begin to mirror God's thoughts and your ways begin to mirror his ways. And that's the goal. When we came back from Haiti <clears throat> this last trip, we flew into Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I'd never been there before. It's kind of different. When we go through customs, man, this was government in action. We come in, there's, there's probably four or five hundred people. I'm not exaggerating. We, the line was all the way out and there's one agent working. Anyway, that's another story. 
So it's taking forever. When finally some other agents come back. I don't know what they do when they come back from their little breaks or whatever. But they don't work. So they all come in. They start coming. They don't call you forward. You're going, what are you doing? You know, and, and poor kids in front of us, they had to flight to catch. And, and, and Ricky says this to one of the officers, he said, can they go forward? He said, I can't make them go forward. It's not my problem. You know, and I'm going, whoa, back off, dude. You're not that important. You know, in the whole scheme of things. Anyway, so we get through customs, and by the time we get through, we're all spread out all over the place. And when you come through, you have to take all your luggage through, and then you have to go recheck your luggage so that you can do this domestic flight. Well, in Fort Lauderdale, where we came in from the international flight was a long ways from where we needed to go for the domestic flight. So I decided I walked down and I found the, the little thing. Mark Cargill and I were standing there. Mark said, oh, we need to go over here. So I said, okay, I'm going to stay here. You guys go on. So Mark and a group go on, and Rachel and Kyle Cargill, they're with me, and we're just standing there. So we're standing there just wasting time. And as people would come, two or three at a time would come, we'd say, you need to go to terminal, I don't remember, three or C, whatever it is, and we're at gate 24, whatever it was. And so people would go, and finally when everybody came, then we got on the bus and we rode around there, and everybody got there fine. Well, I didn't know what was going on until later. Caleb and I were talking, and he said, Dad, you know, when we got over there, it was kind of confusing because we had never been there. And he said, people started saying, we need to go this way, we need to go this way. And, and Caleb just kind of takes charge. And he goes, this is what you need to do. You need to go here, do this, do this, do this. And they just, he takes off. And so the 17-year-old's walking along, and the adults there said, that's a little Doug right there. They started calling him Little D. And, and I, he said, because in his mind, he was thinking, this is what my dad would do, so I'm going to do it. And he just takes off and, Little D, Little D. Well, here's the thing. God says... Our relationship can be just like that. Only you're not going to be little D's, you're going to be little C's. God gave us the Bible to give us a slice of his thinking, but he's not giving it to us for information. Second thing on your listening guide is God gives us the Bible to transform us into little Christs. One of my favorite verses, one of the first ones I ever memorized is Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what that means. As you begin to put God's word into your mind, the whole purpose of you reading scripture is not to get you into the Bible. It's to get the Bible into you. Because as you put God's word into your mind, your mind begins to change. The way you think begins to change. And when it changes, then look at the next part of the verse. Then, and you can write in on your listening guide, and only then... Then and only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You renew your mind through the Bible, and then you're able to sort through all of those options and figure out which thing God wants you to do, which is God's way. You do what you think you should in relationships, and then you go to the Bible, and you find out that, that you're over here doing this in relationship. God's at the other end going, this way, no, stop, and you hadn't even been listening to him. And, and God says, come do this. And you're like, but that doesn't even make sense. And God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The way we look at finances, not God's way. The way we look at our physical lives, whether it's health or whatever it is, not God's way. And when it comes to the big three, relationships, finances, and the physical life, what we think is logical is not God's way. When was the last time you prayed? If you're single, when was the last time you prayed and asked God, whether you should date and whom you should date. Well, in the bet, there's not been a lot of those prayers because you're thinking, I'm going to date. I think if you, if you have gone through a divorce, I don't think you should consider dating for a year. There's no way you can heal faster than that. 
And you'll make a dumb decision based on your limited experience. When it comes to money, when's the last time you consulted God about your money? It's my money and I want it now. That's our attitude. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Point of order, it's not your money. God says, it's all mine and I let you have some of it to test you. To see how you're going to react. And many of us are bowing down and worshiping the God of money. And God says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. When it comes to the physical, we think that all there is is what I can see, smell, taste, touch, and feel. The physical. And God says, oh, there is so much that you don't even know about. You can't perceive it unless you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's another whole reality that you can't discover unless you yield to God the Father. If you want to discover God's way, you're going to have to start praying a different way. You're going to have to start praying, God, here's what I see. I see option A and option B. And if there's another option, God, please let me know because your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. I may be missing it completely. This option looks good to me. This option looks bad. But God, I want to know what you want me to do. Pray that way and God will begin to open your eyes. (laughs) We... uh, We have a lot of people, and and I I don't want you to take this wrong. A lot of people go to God's Word because all they want to do is find promises. This promise is for me. This promise is for me. This promise is for me. That seems like a me-centered way to go to the Bible. And and everything about worship is God-centered. I want us to to look at God's Word not as, as just a place for promises, but as a place to discover principles. Here's number three. Bible gives us principles which are timeless truths. A principle is an unchangeable truth. It's a law. It's the way life operates. It's the way God set it up. Now, there's a difference between a command and a principle. You can disobey a command, but you cannot disobey a principle. Let me give you an example. A command would be, don't jump off that building. A principle would be, here's what will happen if you jump off that building. This law I've created called gravity will take effect, and you will... You will be bitten by gravity of whatever body part hits the ground first. You see the difference? In, so, because if, if you decide that gravity doesn't exist, do you hurt gravity's feelings? Gravity's doing its thing whether you believe in it or not. It's a law. It's the way God set things up. So God has given us all kinds of principles in his word that describe how he set things up. So let me give you some principles. Some principles are plainly stated. Any idiot can figure these out from scripture. Here's one. You reap what you sow. Now I didn't put this one down there, but this is from Galatians 6. Basically, whatever seed you plant in the ground, that's what you're going to get back out of it. So whatever seed you plant in relationships, that's what you get back out of it. Whatever you put into something is what you get out. And people are going, duh, everybody knows that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure that one out. You want to know why it's that way? Because God set it up that way. It's a principle that God established. Here's one from Proverbs 13, 20. I love this verse. Keep company with wise and you will become wise. If you make friends with stupid people... You'll be ruined. The principle is is that you become just like the people you hang out with. If you want to change your life, you're probably going to have to change the people that you hang out with. If you want to change your life to be nice, you need to hang out with nice people. If you want to be a truth teller, you need to hang out with people who tell the truth. If you want to be responsible, you need to hang out with people who are responsible. If you want a marriage that doesn't just survive but thrives, you need to hang out with people who are making their marriages a priority. It's a simple 
principle. Here's another one, Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That great theologian, Nathan Gillis, pointed out to me the other day, when he's old, and so he wants to you know, define that as old. Well, here's the principle. The principle is the way you raise your child will impact their adulthood. If you do the right things on the front end of raising a child, you will reap rewards on the back end as a parent. It is a principle. It's the way God set things up. So some principles are very plainly stated. Others are implied. All right, now, here's, here's one. There's, there is a principle of unconditional love, but nowhere is it stated that unconditional love is the most powerful force on the planet. You, you, you can't find a verse to look that up. But what we discover is where massive amounts of hurt and brokenness exist, there is nothing that changes or reshapes a soul like unconditional love. That's a principle you discover in the Bible. It's the story of the prodigal son. Many of you have one of those or you were one of those. If you have a prodigal in your family, then the question is this. Which do you want? Do you want their bodies to return to you or do you want their hearts to return to you? Thank you. All right. Let's try that again. If you have a prodigal, do you want their hearts or their bodies to return to you? Their hearts. The principle to get them, to win them over, is unconditional love. It's the way God captured us. It's something our enemy, the devil, does not understand. If you want to change somebody's hearts, you start pouring out massive doses of unconditional love and watch them, watch God reshape their souls. It's the way God set things up. So some are very plainly stated, some are implied, some are in stories, some principles are in stories or narratives. Bible starts out in, in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2, he, he creates man and woman. And Genesis chapter 3 explains all of that. The Garden of Eden, there's a principle that comes out very quickly. And here is the principle. Maximum freedom is discovered only when you're under the authority of God. Maximum freedom comes from being under God's authority. The moment you move out from God's freedom is the very moment you begin losing your freedom. So God's in authority when we're under it. That's good. Logic says if you want to be free, then you need to be your own boss. And that's exactly the lie that Satan told Eve. It's exactly the lie that Satan tells every one of us whenever we want to be boss of our lives. It's sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute in in, uh, class 101. The problem is sin, and the problem is the middle letter of sin. The middle letter of sin is I. I have eye trouble. You have eye trouble. I want to do what I want to do. You want to do what you want to do. And the moment you start doing that, you move out from under God's authority, and you begin to be enslaved by whatever it was you thought would bring you freedom. Every decision that you're ever going to make in life is going to intersect one of the principles from this book. And so the more familiar you become with these principles, the easier it is to discover God's will. Does this make sense? In the Old Testament, there's a story, and I love this story. King David had already been anointed king, but he wasn't king yet because Saul, the first king, was still king. Saul... The people wanted a king, so God said, here, you can have Saul. Saul started out good didn't, and didn't end up very good. 
And so God anoints David. He says, I'm going to rip the kingdom from Saul's hand. I'm going to give it to David. Now, Saul finds out about this and he doesn't like it. So he tries to kill David. So David's a pretty smart guy. So he runs. Somebody's trying to kill you. You don't hang out with them. You run from them. So David takes off running. And some guys gathered around him. Uh, David's mighty men. And so they're out in the wilderness and they're running around literally trying to escape from Saul. Saul gathers the entire army from the kingdom, thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers. And he's chasing David and his little group of 30, 40, 50 men, maybe even a couple of hundred, but that's still nothing compared to 50, 60, 70,000 soldiers. They're running around. Saul's chasing. They're running around. Well, this one time they come up with this idea. There's all these mountains out in the wilderness, in the desert. And they said, let's go hide in one of those caves. So they go up and they get in this cave thinking that Saul with his massive army, they're going to go right by and then they can escape. Sounds like a great plan. But wouldn't you know it? Saul, this is all in scripture, has to go to the bathroom. And when the king has to go to the bathroom, everything stops. Which cave do you think King Saul chose to be his royal resting place? The cave where David and his men are hiding. So Saul comes up. He goes in the cave. And, and if you're David and those guys, you're thinking, oh, no. And so they move back in the cave. And, and I'm guessing, we don't know this from Scripture, I'm guessing that their eyes were well adjusted to the dark and King Saul's weren't because Saul has no idea that these men are hiding there ready to take his life. So as Saul comes in and, and starts uh, doing his business, David's men go, this is the day that the Lord has made. Your enemy's right there. And he's vulnerable. Kill him. They thought, well, how can God's will be any clearer? Our enemy is here. No guards. No weapons. He's preoccupied. Kill him. And I'm willing to bet every one of David's emotions said, kill him. Circumstances said, kill him. Everyone around said, kill him. All of his counselors, kill him. But you remember what I started with? Remember the verse that I read from from David? Your statutes are my delight. They are my what? Counselors. So David knew in the heat of battle that he needed to make a decision. And I'm sure that he went back to God's word. Because there's a principle that David had learned, even in this small portion of scripture that he said was the most important thing in his life. There was a principle. I'm going to state it my way, and then I'm going to tell you what David said. The principle was this. You dare not replace what God has put in place. So everything screamed, kill Saul right there. But David knew a principle. And the principle was, this is not how God operates. And so David says... I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David was saying, God knows how to replace a king when it's time to replace a king. God knows how to replace a pastor when it's time to replace a pastor. God knows how to replace a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or whatever when he knows how to do that. God's way is different than our ways. And so David let him go. And if you know any about the Old Testament, you know, he had a second opportunity to kill Saul. And both times Saul goes, oh, I have sinned. You're more righteous than I am. And then he turns around, and tries to kill him again. And at the right time, God got rid of King Saul. And the nation of Israel realized we have a different kind of king. 
A king who does not make decisions based on circumstances or open doors. As if that tells you the God's will. From now on, don't say to me, pray that God will open this door. Or if this door is open, pray that God will close it. That's not how God works. How many times in scripture do you see something looks impossible? When the children of Israel were supposed to go into the promised land. It was flood stage of the river. That does not look like an open door to me. God says, if you'll obey me and, and if the priests will go and step foot, at the moment they take a step of faith, you know what happened? The river dried up for 18 miles. And we're not just talking, you know, it, it stopped flowing a little bit where it was still muddy because I've been in muddy bogs and pulls off your, your boots when you're out hunting. I've been in that. No, no, no. It was dry. And all couple of million people go across dry land because they obeyed God. Many times it will seem impossible. And if you know God's principles, you know the way he operates, you know that it is impossible to please God without faith. Then sometimes the thing he's calling you to do that seems the hardest thing to do, that may be exactly what God wants you to do. Because if it's impossible, you don't get the glory. People come up to you afterwards and they say, I now know there must be a God because you couldn't do what just happened. God functions in a different way. His ways are so different from ours. Knowing God's principles allows us to get outside of our pitiful little experience and knowledge. I don't care how smart you are. You're not God. I don't care how smart your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. They're not God. And the only time that we are going to experience success on a regular basis is when we go to this word, we go to other Christ followers, and we listen for the Holy Spirit's voice, and we obey. So how badly do you want to know the will of God? Everybody I've ever talked to said, yeah, I want to know the will of God. And probably 99% of those people spend less than a minute or two in God's word on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis, or on a yearly basis. See, God's Word lets us get out of the emotions of the moment. It lets us get out of the fog of the moment. It lets us get out of the circumstances and see from eternity past into eternity future and realize that our God is greater. Our God is higher. He's above any others. And if you want to know His will... He will show you. Bow your heads for a moment. The wisest thing you could possibly do in response to this message is immerse yourself in God's Word and discover principles, not just promises. Too many times people, and I see this on Facebook, people... Post God's promises. Nothing wrong with that, but it's almost like they're saying, Hey, God, remember you have to do this. God's like, Yeah, I wrote it. I know. You don't have anything over on God. Maybe you should discover the principles of God and begin living like David and not like Saul. I want you just to to tell God whether you want to know His will or not. Silently when you're sitting there. Do you want to know God's will? Then tell Him. And if you really want to follow God, then you say, God, I am going to follow Your will 
even if it's contrary to my own. And then watch what happens next. Because God is looking for people who will say yes before He even tells them what He wants them to do. Father, change our destinies through the principles in Your Word. And help us to be a different kind of people, a different kind of church. Not that there's anything wrong with other types of churches, but we want to be that church that is radically obedient to pursuing your will and obeying your will no matter what it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take your registration cards, fill those out. And then on the back, I'm going to ask you two questions. And everybody can fill this out. I get so much information from these, it it blows my mind um, what all you guys share with me on the back of these cards. Question number one. You just write number one. Here's the question. You answer it. Um, First, it's a yes or no, and then, then there's a why. Do you read the Bible every day? Yes or no? Not three out of five, not one out of seven. Do you read the Bible every day? Yes or no? And then tell me why. Write that down. If the answer to number one was no, then question number two. Then whose wisdom are you depending on to make decisions in your life? If, if number one was no, whose wisdom is guiding your life? You write that down. If you have any prayer concerns, write those on there and um, put those in, our, in one of our baskets.